<laughs> it's not it's not automatic it's not oh are we on are we on all right hey all right super professional ready all right hey guys welcome to another episode of <laughs> all right let's try this again ready three two one Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Spilling Ink, the show that takes you behind the book to meet the authors and professionals in the publishing industry. And yes, we also meet Jason too, the unstoppable Jasaurus. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to talk about that name in a second. But before we get started, we have to remember our sponsor. So let's take a moment to give a shout out to Creative Edge Publicity. They are Cheers. our sponsor. Cheers who provides us the wonderful opportunity to be able to stream to both Facebook and YouTube live at the same time. Yay! So Creative Edge, they are your brand, your future. They are advocates of collaboration and believers in partnership in the ever-changing literary industry. Check our notes for the show below at the end of the show, and we will provide you with the links to them. All right, now back to Jay Soros. <laughs> that was so what? professional. What? Where the hell did that come from? You know, I've been I've been on the, uh, in the green room for what? What, Stacy? We've been here for like a half an hour. I never yeah. even looked at his tag. <laughs> I was too busy showing everybody the, the the mountains of New Hampshire behind me. <laughs> well, you know, and and let's face it: if we would have seen it ahead of time, then we wouldn't have, and it wouldn't have been nearly so enjoyable. Now, right? <laughs> what? Why? <laughs> Why? <laughs> what I you know I don't know I don't know but I'm I'm shocked that nobody has noticed that I've got a new camera angle and new earbuds I I, oh, I nice. where am I pointing Look at I got rid of the corded ones so Leah would stop yanking them out of my ears so Nobody commented on them That means oh, you got oh, like, Jessica West amazing editor. Um, and good friend, Jess. I I just wanted to tell you that I absolutely love your hair. It is just gorgeous in that in that picture. Uh, looks awesome. Hi, Julia. Man, we've got so many good friends here. This is great. Hello, friends. And we have well. So Stacy is not new to me, but she's new to this this live thing that we're doing with spilling ink and. Stacy, I'm going to let you introduce yourself since every time I say your last name, I pronounce it differently. And every okay, time somehow it's wrong. It's like a the, USB. It's, it's part of the draw, right? Is the is it, uh, is know, it phylic? Phylac. Like phylac. Like lilac. I like it. Stacy Phylac, who is yeah. an extraordinary fantasy author. And I know I, I say extraordinary and fabulous and stuff like that a lot, but I, I really, really mean it. I, I read her book and absolutely fell in love with it. Uh, Stacy, thank you so much for coming on the show tonight. Thank you for having me and for saying all those nice things. <laughs> you you freaking deserve it. The queen underneath was just just incredible it, it really was and we have we have all amazing fantasy authors here and then me um who I, I don't really write fantasy so i'll just i'll be like the moderator and let you guys fight it out well you write horror like me in some yes <laughs> and, and, it, and it has some supernatural and paranormal which yeah. seems like fantasy to me but it, it's just not really the same I it's all part it's of the same. same family of yeah weirdness yes. Yeah, that yeah, speculative good. fiction weirdness thing. Oh my gosh, Belinda Clemens, I I don't know you personally, but you do need to read The Queen Underneath. You're right. You I got highly to recommend it. it. Oh my god, it's so freaking good. <laughs> it really is so good. And nobody no none of these two ladies don't listen to me when I recommend the books and I have really good taste in books, damn it. Just because okay. I like zombies and spiders doesn't mean I have bad taste in books, okay? <laughs> there are no zombies. Or spiders in the queen underneath. Oh, that's good. That's, that's good. Mm -hmm. Oh, so uh, tell me a little bit about. <laughs> okay, maybe I maybe I didn't tell the truth, but really, <laughs> there. <laughs> Give us the book pitch, Stacy. Mm. Okay, so the queen underneath is um, a dark uh, retelling of Sleeping Beauty. Okay. which takes place in a city um, that is divided into the nobles and the sort of, you know, legitimate uh, members of society rule the above mm -hmm. and the, um, 
thieves and sex workers and uh, assassins and everybody else rule the under. Okay. And one day the rulers of both are um, assassinated and their young heir parents must um, come together to figure out what happened and to save their city. And hijinks and magical mayhem ensue. I love the word hijinks. Hijinks yeah. is such a good word. It, it really is. It is. I, I will tell you that from your description, and I hope you don't take offense to this, but from your description, and and when I when you first told me about the book, it sounded like young adult to me. I know. It's, it's really not young adult. I mean, I would have read it as as a teenager, but it's really, I mean, it's really adult fiction, right? So, or, or what do you think? So here's the party line, which is I wrote it as adult fiction, but it sold to a young adult publisher. So it was published as upper YA, as in the, the age recommendation on the back says 14 to 17, 17 and up, something like that. Um, I think it's 17 and up, uh, which is really adult, right? But, right. It's almost, but, like, it's almost like new adult than rather than yeah. young adult. I mean, the characters are younger people, but mm -hmm. they're encountering adult situations. Mm -hmm. It's not really what I would call a coming of age, which is what I think of when I think of young adults. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, there is some element of that along with a lot of new adult sexy mm -hmm. times. <laughs> well, all, 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 all you know, I remember a lot about this book, but one of my favorite memories is, is when she says, it has to look like you really used it. And then she spit on it. And we won't go into it more than that. <laughs> okay. And you know what I love about that? I, I read that. I was like, <clears throat> what? Yeah. You know what I loved about that scene was that, and and why I kept why I wrote that scene and why that scene was so dear to my heart was that I had never seen a woman that in control of a situation of that type, you know. And and Gemma was, I mean, Gemma was the only person in control in that situation. So, um, yeah, I. I blush every time somebody brings it up, but also it's one of my favorites. <laughs> well, I, I, what, what I, what I love. Oh my God. I, I can't get into it because getting into it actually gives you a little bit of spoilers and, and I, I don't want to give spoilers, but I think it's, it's sexy for the reader a little bit, but it wasn't sexy for her at all. It was just business. She was getting right. shit done. You know? Right, right, exactly. She was 100% like, this is happening. This is not, I mean, this means, yeah, it was, I mean, I loved that because we've seen so many, if if you take that scene and, and gender bend it and turn it around, we've seen uh, situations like that so many times where the man is in control and the woman is made to feel um, somehow manipulated by the situation. And um, yeah, and she just has everything in control and she, and she knows how much it is freaking them out and she loves it. <laughs> But no, so I, I do want to, man, I'm, I'm really risking sounding like I'm on task with this show by doing this. And, and I hate being on task, but somebody's got to keep us. I, I do want to explore this a little bit. Okay. So we say the, the, the upper is, is kind of the, the higher class and the lower is, or the underneath is, is the, the lower class. Now, could you maybe explore a little bit the, the morality that's going on here because um, <laughs> in, in what, maybe why that came to be the way it is? Well, so um, historically, um, 150 years before the Queen Underneath takes place, there was a, a big war with a neighboring um, country who has still maintained magic. The, our, our little city-state of Egress does not have magic. Um, but the but the people of Vega who live next door, who have conquered huge swaths because, you know, magic, um, they uh, have. That's what Stacey said. 
<laughs> they have taken over everything except this little, they've left behind this little city state. Um, and the only way that the, the little city state survived was by banding together the criminals and the nobles. The criminals had this, you know, huge network of, of you know, people who had been taking care of each other for years, who the, the nobles then brought in to help out. And they came to an agreement that um, the, the, under would continue to do crime and you know take care of things and they would pay taxes and help you know fortify the the city state and in doing so they were left alone their crime was sort of looked aside and whatever um but of course you know the nobles are turning up their nose at at the under and they're too they're too good to you know have anything to do with them and we have a very patriarchal society above um, but we have a, a matriarchal society underneath and it's a very, you know, we look after each other and we take care of everybody. Everybody deserves um, to be taken care of. And um, so when this happens, there's a, you know, the king of above, who is this 18 year old wet behind the ears kind of pup has no idea what's going on. Um, and he gets led around fairly roughly by our queen underneath who has mm -hmm. been you know taking control of situations since she was like 13 <laughs> so hmm. well and i, I think that uh... <clears throat> sorry Jason. are you going to be writing other fairy tale retellings or you know i think about it um i didn't start out for it to be actually a fairy tale retelling um and then once I had written, you know, the first draft, there were elements of it that had that Sleeping Beauty sort of feel to it. But I ended up amping that up. Um, you know, it, it didn't start out as um, as that. I've actually been contemplating The Secret Garden was my favorite book when I was little. I must have read it 150,000 times. and. Um, I've been contemplating what a romance version of that Ooh. would look like. So, okay. you know, right. something to think All about. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, and your rating, um, at, at least with this book, had um, a really a, kind of a fun quality where the writing was it was it was really pretty, but it was also it, it was also a little bit gritty. It was it was like dirty on purpose. Um, and, and I thought, I thought that really added to the, to the feel of the book because it just felt like you were kind of in the, the underbelly. Um, and, and I liked that a lot. And what I really enjoyed was that, you know, we spend a lot of our time in this book in the, the under, um, and though these are, these are criminals, these are sex workers, these are thieves and, and, uh, murderers, they're not good people. Um, a lot of them have done terrible things, but, um, it, it seems like the way they treat each other and the way they treat other people is almost better than the people in the upper. You know, they're they're much more understanding and, and there's a lot more camaraderie. And I, I thought that was a, a really kind of a, a cool element uh, of, of well, the book there. So and the under has a code. I mean, they, you don't you don't drag something out for for no reason. You know, if you're going to kill someone, you go there, you kill them, you do it. Um, you know, torture is a thing that's used as a method of control and they're not into that kind of, you know, um, control. And so they only, that's a, like a last resort kind of, you know, treatment for somebody who's really, you know, terrible and, and, you know, things like, like rape and torture and, um, you know, that sort of violation. Like if you are gonna, if you are going Exactly, honor among thieves. Exactly. So, if you're going to go and and you know take your revenge on somebody from under, you're going to go. You're going to kill them. You're going to do, be done with the job, and then you're going to move on. Um, but that's not how the above does things, and so that has caused a huge amount of distrust. The the under actually mistrusts the above much more than the above mistrusts the under because. They know what they're really like. Yeah, only well, under they're they're more straight shooters. You know what you're, you you know what to expect. I just want to 
pause here and say hello to some people. We've got uh, Mike Feria and Regine just came on, Ariana and Belinda. Um, Julia, thank you so much for joining us tonight. I know you're super busy. Um, so thank you everybody for coming on and Anita um, and commenting. And I think Joe's around here too. I haven't seen a comment from him in a little bit, but thanks for coming in guys. Um, it's very, very good to see you. So yeah, so now that we've we've kind of drilled you on your book for a few minutes, thanks for letting me do that. I mean, I was just such a big fan. It, it's the kind of the world kind of world that I could write fun uh, fanfic in there. You know, little little short um, stories because it was just such a. Cool you place. can send those to me anytime. <laughs> <laughs> anytime. Uh, what well, Jessica? I agree. You aren't doing something wrong or bad if they earned it, right? Right. But then, then you get to into uh, some ethical dilemmas. I mean, who decides if you've earned right, it or not? Right. right. Yeah. That's yeah. The, the whole karma thing. You know, you you wish upon somebody the karma that they deserve. Mm -hmm. the meanest thing you can possibly say because if they're just an asshole or you know have done something bad, you hope they get it back, and that's it. Yes. You just let yep. the karma take yeah. care of it. Yep. You notice I I gave her <laughs> I gave Karma a female. Seems reasonable. Yeah. <laughs> well, there was a and there were there was a lot of venom in your in your female characters, uh, Stacy. And I'm I'm curious with the with you other two fantasy authors, do you put a lot of uh, kind of venom and uh, fire into your into your female characters? Fire, yes. I, I don't know about venom per se. I don't know. I, well, venom might be the wrong word. I just mean kind of sharp and dangerous. When they need to be, some yeah. characters, yeah. yes, but not all. Right. No. Okay. I think it. I'm yeah, still... I think it just depends on on where they've been and what they've been through, and you know. I mean, yeah, it depends on what I'm writing too. If I'm writing the the fairy tale retellings, it's a little bit more of of the the edging away of innocence into that, you know, because, you know, they're, they're this, you know, bright eyed and, and whatever. And then, you know, the world falls down on them, you know, <laughs> or things come out and it's like, Oh, okay. I, I always like showing how characters grow through learning through their mistakes and their failures and yeah. being able to, to show the failures is important. You can't have a, a perfect character. You have to have a character who might be strong in their convictions and falls flat on their face when they go after something because they didn't do it the right way, but they have to learn that first. Yes, uh, absolutely. I like I, that the vigilante justice. Yeah, my FBI series had, had, some, had him going in that direction but as an FBI agent, he couldn't. Right. He, couldn't. He, he shouldn't. I should say he couldn't. He shouldn't. All those things. But he want. You know, the, the fact that they want it, and they go down that dark path. It's like, how do you make them grow without stepping over lines? Mm. Yeah. Uh, that's, do you, that's tough. Do you feel like you're? Um your female and male characters respond differently to the same types of situations or not really? It's, it's For situational. Anybody. It's not male, female. It's, it's what they've experienced. They're going to base their reactions on what they know. Right. People who have taken oaths to be, you know, to, to jobs like doctors and, and, you know, cops and things like that and judges and, and stuff have to, have those moments of doubt whether they're female or male. And, and I've got a male character who he is overprotective to the point of being annoying because in the past he's lost someone. It has nothing to do with him being male and wanting to protect a female. He lost somebody because of a mistake he made. So now he's super overprotective because of that. Yes. Oh, what, what do you think, Stacey? Oh, I think absolutely. And, and actually, I mean, not to keep digging up the queen underneath, but um, one of the things that I consciously did when I was writing it was I turned those tropes on their head. So when I needed a damsel in distress, that became the, the king. The king was the damsel in distress and the, you know, uh, the, 
tropey whore with a heart of gold is a, a male sex priest. And, um, you know, so I, I purposefully did not play into gender roles by, by bending them all. Um, I don't know whether it was successful or not, but it happened. <laughs> so. I like that. The, the conscious subversion of expectations, not to, to, you know, pound a message into somebody's head, but to give somebody a different perspective. Yeah. And, and for me, it was just an interesting experiment in what would happen and what would the world look like if things were reversed. Um, and it, yeah, it was, it was, I mean, I had fun writing it and turned into a pretty book. So. Mm -hmm. Sounds like, it sounds uh, I, really interesting. So how long did it take you to write that book? Oh, um, I think it, all total, it took me about six months to write and get it ready for my agent. Um, and then um, I took us another about a little over a year to sell it after she had it. So that's the agonizing part. I, we, we talk a lot to, to independent authors who are in control of when their books come out. But on the, the traditional side, there's this huge waiting gap. What do you do to fill the time? Um, well, sweat and paste. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, sure, th there's a period of time where you just think, you know, this is the only thing I can think about, you know, and it does get, I, I feel like that was my first book. So it wasn't the first book I'd written, but it was the first book that had a chance to be sold. Um, and so I think that, um, that one, I spent a lot more time focused on it's on submission and I can't do anything else except think about the fact that it's on submission. Um, and, you know, once it's sold, then I could start to think about other things. Um, and so, I mean, it's been out for two years. It was with the publisher for about a year. So in three years, I've written, you know, a couple more books, <laughs> which are now out on submission. So. Now, luckily, yeah. luckily, I have a day job, so you know I have plenty of things to keep me busy. Well, yeah, how is the submission process after you've published a book? Uh, for me, it's been the same because I only had a one book contract. I do have friends who have gotten multiple book contracts, and so that's you know that's a whole another different set of pressures. You know, I mean, I have my agent now and she's awesome and she, you know, does her thing and she um, keeps me in the loop about what's happening and who's interested and who's reading it and, and that kind of thing. But um, I sometimes look at my friends who have multi-book deals and I think that they um, are probably more stressed than I am because they know they have to get it done and it has to be acceptable to this editor. You know, you don't have this giant pool of editors that can look at it. It has to be good for this editor. So, hey, nothing motivates like a deadline. Yeah. Oh, oh. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. My next deadline now is not until September. So I've, well, I, had it in, I had it in June, but I moved it to September because. Yeah, with, with the scroll brain, it just hasn't worked this the, the past couple of months. So I can't I can't imagine being on deadline in the <laughs> pandemic. Like I can't even I can't even fathom how that would work. <laughs> well, a pandemic and moving. Right, right, exactly. You've got nothing going on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah there's no time to organize your thoughts at all. I have yeah. no time to organize my moving. <laughs> So, so I think until that happens, I'm still going to be scrolly until June 19th. So I, I get that. I totally, totally get that. That'll give me three months to write the book, basically. You can do it. Three months, psh, nothing. Well, especially well, if you've got your synopsis already. You're halfway there. Well, well this one I have uh, 15,000 words already. So Oh, hey. Yeah. yeah. I read a little bit before all this happens. <laughs> Um, Mike, uh, Mike Ferry has a good question here. Uh, and I'm, I'm assuming you're talking about, uh, having one book published already. Uh, mm -hmm. does it give you one foot in the door? Hopefully you don't have to go all the way back to the beginning and start over. Well, I, so certainly I would have one foot in the door where I to write a sequel to the queen underneath. Um, you know, I certainly, you know, um, my publisher would, uh, would have, you know, first rights 
uh, to that and and etc. Um, it it's not that I don't envision ever writing a sequel to it. I could. I know what happens to the characters next. I'm just not sure. I'm just not sure I want to yet. I'm not there yet where I want to write it. Um, I had a lot of other things floating around in my head that needed to to take flight first. So I have a middle grade fantasy that's out on submission right now. Um, I have rewritten probably eight times the first book that I ever wrote, which is um, at least part of a trilogy. Um, and I have, I mean, there are doable versions of that book that exist in three or four different iterations. So um, one of these days I'll get it where I want it and it will be ready to go out. Um, and then, you know, I have a couple of other things that I've been, been working on. So certainly if I were to stick with that, that world and that particular story, I would have a foot in the door, but I'm, I'm just scatterbrained and like to work on all different things. <laughs> Speaking of like the, the one foot in the door idea, I mean, when you start off brand new, you're querying agents just to get them to look at it. So now that right. you have an agent, you're not having to query out anymore. Your agent just right. takes it and looks at it. So right, right. It's so one she step shorter in the process then. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. So whenever I start anything new, um, you know, I'll usually once I get 10, 15,000 words in, I'll send her a little bit and say, okay, what do you think about this? Am I even starting, you know, is this even worth pursuing? Is there anything that you see immediately that is, you know, too much like something else that you've read? I mean, she reads, I don't know how she reads as much as she does because she's reading, you know, her, her um, writer's work plus, you know, knowing what's going on in the market. But, you know, she definitely has a wider reading range than I do. So sometimes she'll come back and she'll go, well, it feels a little bit like this, you know, so then, you know, maybe, you know, slide away from that or maybe, you know, lean into this part because this is really popular right now. So, um, so then I'll, you know, she'll send it back to me and I'll get to work on it. And, um, you know, and, but she's, my agent is fantastic in that she, she always says, if it's not working for you, you know, even if it's what's going to sell, it's, if it's not working for you, you can't make it happen. So, right. you know, um, so yeah, I, I, it's like having somebody in your back pocket that's helping you edit as you go, which is fantastic. It's nice. Yeah. <laughs> well, I have a, a question. <clears throat> go, ahead, go ahead, Jane. Go ahead. Oh, all right. Have you ever had feedback from your agent that's made you put something aside? Um, so I, ha I haven't set it aside completely, but I did have feedback, um, on something that I had started that, um, she was like, okay, I like this aspect of it. And I like this aspect of it, but A, B, C, D, and E, I, I hate. <laughs> and, um, and, and she was right. I mean, she, the reasons why she gave me, um, she was absolutely right. And what's also awesome about her is she'll say, okay, I'm giving you these three books to read for homework. And then you can see why I'm saying what I said. And so I'll read those books and I'll go, okay. Yep. And so I've set it aside while I do my homework, but, okay. I, I, but then, you know, when I go back at it, I'm definitely, um, more in tune with what's going to work, you know, for the wider market. Okay. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. I, I like that. What are, um, I don't know, you, do you read a lot of fantasy or what, what are your tastes in, in reading? So I, um, I love fantasy. I love science fiction. I have found in recent months um, that I can't, I can't live in a fantasy world. I can't get there. Um, I think because the real world is too, bizarre yeah. ever present and demanding <laughs> right now um so i haven't um the last couple of months i haven't been able to read actually any fiction i've been reading um lately i've been reading rachel maddow's book on the gas and oil industry which you would think is super boring but it's actually pretty good for political world building <laughs> <laughs> 
but um, it's at least it, it, I'm able to stay in the world because it's the real world. You know, I was finding that when I was trying to read um, fantasy um, in 2020, I just was, I was bailing out of a lot of worlds because I couldn't get myself into them enough. So I'm, I'm hopeful that one of these days I will fall back in, but right now I've been reading a lot of nonfiction. Okay. Well, when it, it seems like whenever we talk, I, I bring up um, the queen underneath because I was, I was a huge fan and I'm always, you know, in, implying that I, that I want you to write more in that world, even though you've told me several times that you, you just don't feel like you're into it right now. What's it like to have a book that people really, really, really enjoyed and they, they just want you to go back to that, but you're just, you don't feel like it, feel like you're there. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm just hoping that you will go out and build a whole legion of giant super queen underneath fans. And then one of these days I will give them what they want. <laughs> well, you know, it just, you know, and I always, I always, I always feel a little bit bad. I'm like, Oh man, I keep, keep bringing this up. But then I, I, it's like, I can't restrain myself. I keep doing it over and over again because I, I'm such a big fan, but you know, I, I, in, in my head, I, I imagine it's like me, asking my kids to go clean their room and every time i ask they're just not going to do it that much that much more yeah. they're just like no, no i'm not no. gonna it's do that totally different from the from that, <laughs> and that it's super flattering and it does make me go okay at least i know that there are people who want to know what happened to those characters um and um i think part of what I'm waiting for is I think I need to grow as a writer. I think that that the next set of what happens is, is harder and deeper and different. And I don't want to, I don't want to flub it. So do it in justice. Yeah. So I'm still, I'm still, it's still building in the back of my head and it's still there. And, you know, certainly, you know, I know the major plot points. I know the things that um, I expect to happen, um, but I, I, I don't know. I don't know. One day maybe. And I, so, so when I, when I wrote the queen underneath, I was working on something completely different completely different. And I took a nap in the middle of the summer. I woke up all sweaty and I sat down and wrote the first chapter. I mean, I, okay. just, I woke yeah. up and it was there in my head and I wrote it. Yep. Um, so I'm just waiting for one of those hot summer naps to, you know, you, you spur me along, I guess. Space. I mean, I have the next scene in the, in the book that I, you know, stalled on in my head. I just have to, A, get there. Right, yeah. Katie, I should just write it, right? <laughs> and then <laughs> just write it. <laughs> I, I'm right there with you. I completely understand because I have been dragging my feet on Asset 5 for how long? How long has it been since I released the fourth one? Right, but we were... but like I, six months. I took, I took you over. <laughs> I took you over for six months. That was an excuse. That was like my, my reason for, oh, I can't write this now. I have something else to do. <laughs> We wrote, we wrote a trilogy in six months. See, <laughs> That's insane. That's insane. Stacey, to me, to me, this is like when super thin people complain about being needing to lose weight. It's like I write a book like every two years, guys. Come on now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's definitely where I'm at, at now. It's, it's about every it's the same. You have to get yourself in the right headspace. You have to know what's going to happen next. And you have to be able to do the series justice because we've all read books where it's a series author and they're a good author, but there's that one book in there where you knew they phoned it in because they were under deadline and they couldn't right. give it the attention it really needed. Right. Or exactly. Even, even, yeah. Even worse when the first book blows you away and then the next is a total shit cool. fest and you're like, Oh, right. now it's ruined. <laughs> right. Exactly. Ruined. I don't want to do that. Exactly. In this one, I have to a certain part, and then I'm like, do I end all the series? Because this is all the characters. That's heartbreaking. I know it is. Or do I just, you know? You, you put them in a room together and put a bomb in the closet. That's Stephen King rule. Take them all out. This is like, okay, you know, where can I, 
after this, I don't think I can go anywhere any further with the characters. So, you know, do I do Jane fashion, which is our George R. Martin fashion? <laughs> or do I, you know, so this is where I'm stuck. I have the next scene, but then I'm like, okay, where do I go? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is where I'm stuck a little bit because I, I mean, you know, there's one of three paths I can take and they all look really fun and deliciously horrible. (laughs) Hi, Joshua. Good evening. Hello. And I feel like that that's part of the downside of being a pantser is you don't know what happens next. So you have to wait until it, you know, until it gels, yeah. Shower epiphany, oh, yeah. or you wake up in the middle of the night and you know what's going to happen, or whatever. But it, it's, you know, rarely does it happen where you, okay, I'm going to write this thing, and then I know what happens next, and I know what happens next. Usually, and I'm never. just writing it, and the characters take. Oh yeah. But and even we know what you know, I didn't go with them. But this time, I'm like, okay, there's one of three paths I can take, <clears throat> or one of multiple paths I can take. One leads to, you know, a definitive end. One one leads, you know, it, it to heartbreak. One leads, you know, to this other darkness. And it's like, oh, no. They're all bad. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. When, when I wrote my first book, uh, The Cold Room, it was supposed to be, on a, it was just supposed to be a standalone book. That was mm-hmm. it. And it wasn't until, you know, five or six years later that, God, I don't know who was it. Maybe it was a, the publisher told me I needed to write, uh, write it as a trilogy. And I'm like, guys, this is like a single story. I mean, so the, the second and third book, I'm completely pulling out of my ass here. Yeah. Um, I think they turned out well, but it's like, well, I, I didn't plan any of this. And my, my current work in progress, I had um, an outline, but it was it was just a series of events that, I knew had to take place during during the story at yeah. some point. So I'm just going through and I'm I'm writing those scenes, but the the story part of it, you know, the 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 overarching uh, story still has to be written and still has to tie it all together. So sometimes even when you you are making an outline of sorts, you know, you're you're still kind of winging it as you as you go. That's that's the big problem. If you can see where the story <laughs> needs to go, but you can't see the path of how to get there. That's You're still just as stuck. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. I, I usually know where the story starts, one or two major plot points in the middle, and where the story ends. And that's that's usually it for what I know when I go in. And, and That's like me. I do to-do lists for my characters. You know, milk, eggs, cheese, kill the dragon, go home. And you know all the the rest of the connective tissue there isn't available, but I know the points where I need to hit. Right. Yeah. yeah. And 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 Katie in my series, the 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 characters are going to have a cameo. That's awesome. Ooh, that's pretty exciting. Wait, wait. I love, which... that. I love how well, she thanks for the audience. <laughs> Put it that way. Yeah. So how do you guys feel about reading series? Because Katie and, and Jane both write long series. I, I don't intend to write series, but I, I'm being forced to. Um, <laughs> and and Stacy, so so far you you you've written a, a standalone book. And and really as as much crap as I've given you, the queen underneath is is a standalone. It ends perfectly to be either a standalone or to have a follow-up. But when you're reading, do you guys like to read series or do you like something that begins and and ends within you know 400 pages i like yeah i (laughs) that one (laughs) i like both i like both i mean you know there are there are series that you can dive into and even after you know 1500 or 2000 pages or however much you you want more. I mean, you want to know what where. Okay, so what happened after like the Twilight? Right, Twilight was totally, your favorite. totally. Um, <laughs> As I, I, I'm thinking of basically anything that N.K. Jemison has ever written. Like, I would live in those worlds. You know, I mean, I, if she wanted to just continue those series for a hundred years, I would continue to buy them and read them. Who, um, who was it again? Did you say N.K. Jemison? Oh, okay. 
I don't know. You her. wrote the um, um, the fifth season that series, and then um, she also her in Inheritance trilogy. You would love. Trust mm. me, you would love it. Okay. Okay. Um. So, you know, some series I I absolutely um would want to you know live in forever, and some standalone books are perfect you know um the where they end you know I, I think it just comes down to storytelling and and you know where it stops uh, did any of you watch watchmen on hbo not yet mm -hmm. it is perfect in the fact that it ends and it it leaves you enough of a little bit of hanging so you don't know exactly everything that's going to happen. But at the same time, I didn't want any more. I wanted it exactly where it was. And that's what I feel like a perfect standalone book can do. Like, you know, there's okay. more there and you know there's more story and there's more life to the characters, but it doesn't need to go on. It's perfect the way it is. Okay. No, I, I, I get that. I, you know, I, I like, I've read a lot of series, but I really prefer standalones because I do get that beginning, middle and end. And then I don't have to worry about, I have to buy six more books and spend three more years before I get my conclusion. I can just finish it, but I really like it when it's satisfying. And I know my, my characters have a path that they're going on. You know, I, when I read um, Starless by uh, Jacqueline Carey uh, a year or two ago, whenever it came out and you know, she's known for writing these, these huge long series that are, you know, a thousand pages per book. And uh, I was worried that's where it was going, but it was just, it was perfect. You know, it, it started, it, it finished. And I felt so satisfied at the end of it. I was like, now that was a, that was a freaking good read. You know, I just feel good about this book. And I love when I, I love when you find those. Um, but yeah, obviously the exception is, is Twilight, which is everyone's favorite. And you know, once you start those books, you just can't stop. You've got to keep, you know, don't we want Stephanie Meyer to, to write like six more of those, right? Isn't that well, great, If Katie? we give her time, she definitely will. She will. She will. She'll just turn them yeah. around and be from, you know, I don't know, Alice's point of view or something. <laughs> we, yeah. we, uh, a lot of people hate on Twilight, but you know what? It, it entertained a lot of people and that's well, all, it, that's all we're doing. Daughter, it got my daughter reading. Hell yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And she left her window open thinking Edward would come. <laughs> no, wait. That's the wrong lesson. We're trying to teach you. We go in the room and go, what's that? <laughs> yeah. My, my daughter had Edward Cullen poster on her ceiling. So, okay. you know, so she could pretend that he was in there all the time. Um, but, you know, I was, she was very young. She was in fourth grade, I think, when they started becoming popular. And she had she was reading, you know, much higher than her um than her reading or, you know, her grade level for reading. So she wanted to read them. And I was pregnant for my youngest. And um I said, well, I'll read them first and make sure they're okay for, you know, I mean she was what, like nine. Yeah. Um and so I devoured them in like three days because I was hugely pregnant and I couldn't do anything else. So I read these books. And they're super fast reading. And they're super fast reads and they are entertaining. Mm -hmm. They're also terrible, but they are entertaining. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Um, I was so upset at the last book because the <laughs> I was so let down. I was expecting all this to come up again. <laughs> Yeah. But that's why you got to watch the movie ends the way the books should have ended. I mean, I, yeah. I feel like the, the books were said, so, but you know, I, I was, I was the same way. My, my wife got the books from a friend. She burned through them and she was like, yeah, you got to read these. And I burned through them too. And not really by taste, but I'll tell you what, I kept freaking reading the stupid things. Yeah, exactly. and, and then I got done and I was like, damn it, they're over. <laughs> no, I was like, what the? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, yeah. And, and they were, they were entertaining and they were not, um, you know, heavy. they weren't deep or heavy or anything like that, but you could just sit down and read a whole book. I hadn't done that since I was like, you know, a teenager. 
And I, mean, just, I, did that I, I read that, and then, and then I read the Divergent series. Have you mm -hmm. read that? Yep. And I'm like, yep. that—that's the case where the movies were awful in comparison to the books. Twilight's they—it was the opposite. The movies gave them a little bit more life than some of the things in the book. At least the the last one did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, so my... it's like that was just like such a heartbreaking but brave thing of Veronica Roth to do at the end of that. I, I think <laughs> adaptations of series do, they, they bring out the best of the book instead mm -hmm. of, you know, just being a bad adaptation. They show the, the good things in the book and cut out the fat, so to speak. Mm -hmm. you know, the stuff that we really didn't need to go over the pages and pages of, of just unnecessary details. And they, they trim it down into something that's beautiful, something that is, um, Definitely stays in line with the books or the, you know, the, the source material, but, you know, continues the story and gives that beautiful visual because that draws people back to the books. Yeah, Julia doesn't like the end of Divergent. I, and <laughs> no. I never, I never read the last, I, I didn't, I didn't finish it. I didn't finish the series or, or the movie. So I don't, I don't know how the, the end is, but yeah, yeah she book, says it's not. The book. And yeah. the book is not satisfying in the slightest. But it's the only way it could have gone. Hmm. Seriously, the way it was led yeah. up to and all of that, it was so in character for her. But nope. Nope. It's not a satisfying <laughs> end for the reader. Right. Yes. yes it's not satisfing for the reader. Where are you? Don't do that. <laughs> Cardinal rule. <laughs> Sorry. I, I got I got touchy with that one. And my daughter was like so involved in those books too. I was mm -hmm. like, don't read the last one. Don't read no, don't just don't read the last one. She's like, why mom? I'm like, don't read the last one. You'll cry for like two days. Yeah. <laughs> she read like a, a synopsis of the last one. She's like, Yeah, no, not reading that. So the, well, the terrible thing about series like that when your kids are reading them as they grow up is that I mean obviously as an author it takes a certain period of time for them to come out and so my daughter outgrew several of those series because she had passed by that you know sort of obsession with I was obsessed with City of Bones and like I was gonna ask if you read those Cassandra Clare is that her yeah yeah, I she got me into them. She was like, "You've got to read this. You're really gonna like that." This, and I did, and I loved it. And we devoured them together. And and then the like, there was like a, a break, you know, between the books coming out. And um, she by the time the last one came out, my daughter was like, mm, "I don't care about that anymore." And I was so sad because I was like, "No, you need to care about it, so I can care about it." <laughs> <laughs> well, they, well, that's and that's the thing about being an adult. I think is it, it sticks with us more. With them, it's just kind of a passing thing. Yeah, you know, there's 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 books that to me, like me in the world, you know, still on my bookshelf. Those are the only ones I've kept around. It's like, no, this, it's just it's just paper. But you know, for some reason, it, it connected with me, and I can't let it go. Well, the um, stand was like that for me. And that, yeah. that, you know, that has very, very devastating points in it. Mm. You know, even though the end tries to go up after that ending. <laughs> yeah. You know? well, and I, I, I like a, I, I'm so, Katie, I, I can't, I bring up Victoria Schwab like every freaking week because she is just a fucking incredible author. Oh my God. But, um, but, but anyhow, so when I, when I read Vicious, it was it was like that for me. It was a standalone. Um, I was perfectly happy with it. And of course, I wanted more. Like everyone who read the book did, because it was so good. And then she came out with Vengeful, and Vengeful was just phenomenal as well. But I I think that what touched me so much about those books is that there were these very extremely flawed people, um, you know, very <laughs> mentally unhealthy people doing bad things, but there was still kind of this hope for redemption for them in, in the end. And, and that's why it, it stuck with me. It's because I, I feel, I feel like I'm this really flawed person. And like, you know, I, I, I'd like to think there's, there's hope for redemption for me too, you know? And so I think that for each one of us, we connect to these books in a, in a different way. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm, and I'm not really sure what the point was that I was going for here. You no. um, just wanted to sneak in a VH lab. Reference. But I just wanted to talk to Victoria. <laughs> 
I actually, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not gonna lie. I actually um, talked to her publicist yesterday um, because when when Jacqueline said that she wasn't gonna be able to come on uh, to the show tonight, um, I, I reached out to to Kristen uh, Dwyer and I said, hey, you know, this last minute, is there any way uh, Victoria would want to come on and, and hang out with uh, with Stacy? And uh, she said, oh, you know, we'd, we'd love to, but she's got two other events and she's in France right now. So the time zones would not uh, would not work. But, um, yeah, I just I just love her. She's kind of my my author crush. You know, if I could write like her, I would be just the the happiest person out there because because she's amazing. I just want you to know that I'm glad that you waited till now to tell me that information. Oh, I probably really? would have like, passed out. <laughs> It was bad enough when you said you were reaching out to Jacqueline, and I was like, I, I've met her before, and I still can't. Wouldn't that have been a, an amazing surprise if all of a sudden you guys came on and fucking Victoria Schwab was on with her little with their little cat ears? You would have shit yourself. I would have absolutely. I would have just sat here the whole time going. She's a really fun person to listen to, though. I, I sat on yeah, a panel awesome. at Phoenix, and her talk about mythology. She was writing the books; was just amazing. Yeah, she's brilliant and funny, and yeah, super crush for yeah, sure. It would be so fun to get on the show. Absolutely. Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah. She's she's so and she's just such a great public speaker. That's the fun part. <laughs> As you were talking about vicious, I would. Had to, I was wondering if if you, Jason, or if any of you have read um, Kirsten White's uh, When I Darken series? No. Oh, uh, so it's a gender bent Vlad the Impaler. <gasps> Be still. I know. I told you. <laughs> As you're talking, I'm like, Jason needs to know about this. <laughs> you, need, you you need to send me a message after this show. I will. <laughs> I will. You need to read it. And, and they're. They're big, hefty, like five, six hundred books. There's three of them, and they're just phenomenal. That, that's phenomenal. a days for me. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, I can't read that. <laughs> so I bought the I bought the series actually from TV. I watched the TV show, fell in love, so I had to buy the uh, Discovery ah. All Souls trilogy. Okay. A, week, a week in, and here's my my. My progress. Okay. A week in, that's as much progress as I've made. And I've been devouring them as much as I can, as you know, as much as time permits. So yeah, I can't read fast. No, I, I, I can't either. I, I, I am a, a 500, 600 page, page book. I mean, that's, that's a good couple months for me. And that's, and that's okay. Because especially during the summertime, it's like, all right, I crawl into the hammock, you know, when I've got a couple, couple hours and, you just read till you fall asleep and, and it's good. It's all good. Yeah. Normally I'm five or 600 pages a week, but not, Whew. not 2020. <laughs> wow. Well, we have uh, actually my, my, my publisher, my, my editor, Rebecca is a uh, question. Is there a book or series that hasn't stood the test of time for you? Ooh, we'll get to that in a second. Go Indy now. Um <clears throat> My our our friend uh, Rebecca Jonesy reads so quickly that at one point I sent her a manuscript to just to check out, like ten minutes before I was supposed to be on a show with her, and as we're getting on the show, she's saying, "All right, well, I'm just finishing up your book now," and I'm like, <laughs> "Wait a second, here, wait, how is this even possible?" So I mean, it's. I don't know. Some people have got that ability, but uh, so Joe's question, uh, did we lose Joe's question? Can we put that back up there? I can't find it. There we go. Is there a book or series that hasn't stood the test of time for you? I'm going to let you guys take this one. I haven't reread stuff that I read when I was young, um, but I, I, so I don't have the answer for that. The last Stacey time I Kitty? tried to read um, any of the Anne Rice novels, that, that was my first love oh, was Anne Rice. Okay. I don't have the same love for it reading it now as I did back then. So I won't continue rereading them because I don't want to tarnish the memories that I have of loving those series. Hmm. So I think for me, um, my first impulse was to say The Wheel of Time, which I love in spite of itself. Um, I think it became bloated and kind of 
It was problematic at the end. Too much, yes. Um, and I think you could probably cut 50% of it and have a really tight, well-written, amazing series. But what I what I loved about it then and what I still love about it now is it taught me the virtues of giant casts of characters and really like strong world building with, you know, um, just a, you know, a ton of thought put into why does this happen? You know, what, what caused it to be the tradition, you know, a thousand years or 5,000 years ago or whatever. Um, you know, Jordan had all of that at world building in that series. And, um, but I think if I probably, if I were to read it now, I think I probably would be really, really disappointed. Um, and I'm hoping that the TV series fixes some of what I would be disappointed about, but we'll see. I, I, the the first big series I ever I ever got into, well, aside from the Benicula books, um, because those were those were great. School. The celery stalks at midnight. Yes, that was <laughs> that was probably that was the first one I read. I think, um, but. Uh, I read the Xanth series uh, when I was in later, uh, like seventh, eighth, ninth grade, somewhere in there, Pierre's Anthony. And there's a ton of them. I know there's a dozen or so. And I really, really enjoyed them. It's, it's what got me interested in fantasy. And I just love them. But now, as, as I look back, and I haven't tried to reread them, I know that a lot of the writing was problematic. A, a lot of the way he portrayed uh, female characters was very, very problematic. And so I won't go back and, and reread them because, you know, like, like someone just said, you know, I don't, I don't really want to tarnish that memory. You know, it was, it was great. It got me really involved with reading when it was the, the right time for me to be reading. Um, <laughs> I don't want to go back and screw it all up now uh, when I know there was some, some major issues. I mean, I still have my grandfather's copies of, the Tarzan series by Edgar Rice Burroughs. I have all of them. And I wonder what I would, how I would read it now, you know, from, from the childhood times at the beach, you know, reading that entire series. I mean, there was, he had, I don't know. I have like 30 books, I think they are, 30 little thin ones. And, you know, I used to read those over and over again during a week. And yes, I'd read them more than once during the week. <laughs> Um, because I think that's all he had up there, but <laughs> but I wonder how I would. I mean, I used to devour them every summer. Well, every I, I think, summer. <laughs> I think now, as as authors who've written multiple books, I think we tend to read differently too. We read with a more critical eye, even though we don't intend to. Yeah. So okay, no, but... like, well, why is this detail in here? I wouldn't have put that in there. Why? Why were we wasting our time on this? Get to the plot, you know. And and you're yeah. not trying to to disparage the work at all, but it's just that natural, you know. This is what we've trained ourselves is what good writing is. So we apply yeah. it to anything we read, and that kind of diminishes our enjoyment a little bit. I think would it, agree it with that. And... Yeah. And yeah. that's the tough thing about being sent sent books from our friends is, is sometimes you read them, you're like, oh man, all you can all you can see are our mistakes. And that's why it's so so fun when you when you get sent a book and you're like, oh wow, that's a really freaking good book. It really mm -hmm. stands out because it's hard. I mean, being an author writing stuff, I mean it's hard work. It if it is. It, I mean it's if it pulls you through yeah. without really realizing you're reading. Yeah. yeah. And, and and our bar is getting higher and higher and higher, and it's it, it is tough to read for pleasure. It is, days. but you you know where there's so good summer reading books for a while there. I I was oh my god, this must have been twenty years ago, maybe fifteen. Um, I started reading Iris Johansson, and mm -hmm. she writes just kind of just thrillers you know and it's you know mostly you know strong female pro protagonists very very predictable plot lines once you've read a few of them but they're just so damn enjoyable you you don't have to think about them a whole lot you could just you know lays lays around and and burn through a book in a, in a few days and grab the next one it's just pure entertainment with without any work involved but yeah yeah that's a good summer reading yes i used to read her stuff <laughs> yeah yeah it's, it's fun yeah. stuff but well, she sold a lot of books so she's doing oh, it right you know yeah exactly exactly yeah. well mike you're you're right it is it's tough to get into classics especially if you're not a, an english lit person um right you know it, it's that's real tough um especially if you're you're used to a uh, modern genre fiction 
Uh, you can't really go from Lee Child to Edgar Allan Poe without experiencing a little bit of a uh, culture shock. Mm-hmm. And, and I could go on a where we, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, you're fine. I, I was just, quick point, because I've been doing a lot of manuscript critiques as part of you know my Rising Sign book business. And a lot of the, what we're used to as far as older writing, where they actually gave you a good introduction and really got you settled into the character before they threw something at you. A lot of modern writing doesn't have that anymore because people don't have the attention span for that slow introduction to the character's normal life. They want to jump right in to where the action starts. And it, it sacrifices some of that that getting to know the character a little bit. Yeah. What were you going to say, uh, Stacey? I was, I was just going to say that um, I, I think, you know, books like Frankenstein and Dracula and, and all of those, they became quote unquote classics really quickly, right? They became the flagships of their genre and they have been so for 150 years. And I think our problem is, is that we need to update I would say that, you know, um, the classics that we read in high school, that our parents read in high school, are probably not the classics that, you know, modern day teenagers should be reading. And that's why my teenagers are, you know, frothing at the mouth over having to read, you know, some really like seriously boring stuff. (laughs) I'll second that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I really feel like there's there needs to be some some updated, you know. Um, I mean, even I was saying earlier, The Secret Garden, and how much I loved that book as a child, and I busted it out a couple of years ago to read out loud to my kids, and even I was bored, and I was like, I yeah. love this book, but it's kind of boring by today's standards. Yeah. We really, I just think we need to, we can do better because there's such a plethora of options that teach the same lessons and that you know are are more in tune with our modern lifestyle i agree completely i think that uh you know a a few years back uh, stephen king made a little bit of a fuss at some kind of award show because uh he said that people weren't uh recognizing modern classics um classic authors you know incredible literary authors of of the modern age and he was saying that we should be doing that and i i agree we we should it should be a lot it should be like cars you know the classics are from you know how many years ago and then you get to vintage or i don't know i don't know anything about cars well they've but... they've done a good job of making the music that we listened to in high school classic uh, rock so well, i think we can probably uh, do the same with books nine inch nails will never be classic rock man uh, <laughs> you're listening to an old uh, station and you realize that's your high school music you know there's right a- oh, right right, right. Did, you're like oh, how did green day get on and they come on and they're like rock the oldies <laughs> <laughs> and I am older than all of you. So. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I'm like the 70s. Uh, I'm real rock. <laughs> oh, no. Did well, she just we, hipster we, us? Did she just like, she, I'm the real she rock? Did. Yep. She did. She totally hipstered us. <laughs> okay, boomer. <laughs> right? Okay, boomer. <laughs> uh, one of my kids called me a boomer the other day. I was like, the fuck are you thinking, man? <laughs> I am. <laughs> we are the silent middle generation. That's right. We're the good right. ones. <laughs> All right. Well, we are at the end of our time tonight, which means the lovely and talented Katie Salitis is going to professionally roll us out of the show. I, I love how he just keeps throwing me under the bus. I, I know. <laughs> At least you have the write-up. <laughs> we have an intro. We don't have an exit. <laughs> Our exit is see you later. <laughs> just add goodbye to the end of it. <laughs> that, that may actually change, though. You know, Spoiler alert, in the next few weeks, we may actually have a new exit to start teasing people with, but that's not going to happen. Ooh. For another couple of weeks, so you'll have to stay tuned to see what those develop to to become. Oh, what have is you that? guys met Voodoo Bunny? Oh my god, I saw Voodoo Bunny on Facebook. Yeah, my little my little collection of stuffed animals that my is wife that, makes me. I was gonna say, is that Heather? <laughs> yes, yeah. of she course. Is awesome. She is so awesome. Uh, well, everybody who's been out there watching, listening, commenting. Thank you so very much. Oh, Joshua says that we're supposed to plug our stuff. Joshua, you are such a great reminder of things. Thank you. Guys, 
go Let's out there, search for Stacey Filek and Filek and buy the queen underneath. It's freaking awesome. I, I am not shitting you. It is amazing. Just go buy it. Yes. I'm Stacy Filak, and I approve that yeah. message. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. And then Katie Salitis there has like 800 books. I'd recommend starting with the Chronicles of the Uprising. Mm -hmm. That's for Katie Solid. there. Solid. Jane has more like 10,000 books. <laughs> Jane, I don't know. What would you start with when yours? There's, there's a lot of different directions you could go with yours. I know. <laughs> well, my latest book that came out in March was Spindle, which is a Sleeping Beauty retelling. So this is why <laughs> I like wow. <laughs> um, and then before that, the the books that Katie and I wrote, uh, running with running from the devil series. Um, a lot of people like those. So yeah, they've been getting some pretty good reception. I'm, yeah. I'm happy with that. Yeah, yeah, we're selling pretty good. <laughs> anything, just look us all up by name. Anything from our catalogs. Yeah. I'm talking yeah. about Jason too, because oh my God, Pathosis. It's oh. it's coming. It's coming oh. in June. Yeah. If I, and don't don't look up the Unstoppable Jasaurus. I, I, <laughs> I, I can't vouch for anything that might come up. I have no idea. Yeah. But if you I, I, if you look for Jason Lavelle, you'll find my books. I, <laughs> Pathosis is re-released, Jason, because that's oh, just, it's such a fun book, and it's it's going to give everyone chills. And me too. I can't wait. And it's it's perfect timing releasing a book about a pandemic in the middle of a pandemic. Yep. yep. Right. Like, I, and when I said yeah. I would read it, I was like, Yeah, sure, I'll read it. I started it. I was like, Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I had to stop. I was I was beta reading and and putting notes in. I kept having to stop because my skin was crawling. Uh, uh, I got through stuff. like a chapter and I was like, no. He has got some really, not only creepy details, but really good details about the bugs in there. So you really got to pay Ooh. attention. I do like yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, that's a daytime book for sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Good night. Thank you for joining us. It's been wonderful. 